Natural language processing has certainly become more and more popular in the last two years as we've been looking at more industry applications of artificial intelligence. Uh, many longtime listeners here on the Tech Emergence podcast will remember we had an entire month sponsored by Nuance Communications, probably the largest public company focused on NLP or natural language processing in the world. And there's a lot of interesting applications in different niches of business. We've spoken recently for a big editorial piece we're doing with a dozen or more consulting companies who work with applying artificial intelligence into existing businesses. And NLP is a big commonality among uh, what many of these firms are working on. Um, In this particular interview, we dive in with Dr. Bruce Porter. He's a professor of computer science at UT Austin, and he's also chief science officer at Spark Cognition, which is one of the two uh, sort of fastest-growing startups or AI-based startups in the Austin, Texas area. And we dive into where uh, natural language processing could be leveraged in learning from activity logs in industry. So if a car company gets a string of reports from individual users or from, uh, let's say, dealerships that submit technical reports, how can insights be gleaned from those in terms of issues with manufacturing, in terms of issues with service, in terms of issues with weather? How can insight be coaxed out of that? And similarly, how could the same thing be done in industries like banking, in industries like insurance and more? Uh, We speak with Bruce about what actual use cases really look like in these domains, as well as what he believes uh, will become somewhat of norms in terms of use cases of NLP for this particular sort of purpose here. UT Austin, for those of you tuned in who don't know, very often ranked among the top 10 artificial intelligence programs in the world. Uh, Bruce had told me sort of after this recording that they have something to the tune of 40 odd professors who have some degree of a focus on machine learning. So they're investing heavily in this domain. Uh, Bruce himself is focusing on machine reading and deriving insight from text. And I think there's a lot of richness to this interview in terms of actual use cases. For those of you who are interested in more on natural language processing or NLP, um, just search NLP in the search bar at techemergence.com. You'll get to see all of our past work in that domain. We've done everything from customer service to marketing to content creation to healthcare to automotive. A lot of individual industry-specific deep dives into NLP for anybody interested in specific industries. But without further ado, we'll dive in with Spark Cognition's Bruce Porter. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry. Let's go ahead and dive right in. Yeah, where we can start off here, Bruce, is just on the possibilities of using NLP for sort of investigative knowledge. We were talking a bit off mic about what that possibility space might look like. What are some of the important applications there in your mind? Right. So there's a, a lot of industries, a lot of companies and government agencies that are just deluged with incident reports, customer logs, information coming in in the form of text. And there's an application here to what I call macro reading. It's the task of being able to detect patterns in text where the patterns are important to investigating some issue within that company or within that government agency. As a use case, imagine the automobile industry receives probably on a daily basis incident reports from 
car owners and from car dealerships, where these reports are a paragraph or two of text, and they're describing a problem that the customer or the dealership has experienced with a particular car. So it's instance level information down at the you know individual yep, car. Yep, yep. And now the issue is, can you mine that to find patterns at the macro level of what's happening within the fleet of cars in a particular year, model year? Yeah, yeah. You use a great term, which I'll clarify for the listeners, macro reading, fun term, nice way to put it. This idea of drinking all of it in and coaxing out the gist from a bigger corpus than humans could really cope with. You know, you said something about a year and a model. So, geez, our 2014 Camrys, for some odd reason, everybody's complaining about this noise that I don't even know if we've heard, but they're saying it the same way. So that, you know, little insights like that. That's right. Maybe it could also be things like, geez, in the Northeast, Accords keep having this kind of a concern or whatever. And is there something about temperature and cold and snow that we didn't factor for. So it's, it's that those sort of high-level insights that could be gleaned. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so these incident logs in the automobile industry, but also in other industries, other companies, government agencies, they commonly have both unstructured information in the form of text. Sometimes there's some diagrams or pictures to accompany them. But also, to your point, Dan, they also commonly include metadata that's structured like the oh, location in which yeah. this uh, yeah, 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 uh, incident yeah, yeah, yeah. occurred. That's cool. Yeah, so you don't just have, can we pull this out of the, you know, just the sentences from these humans? And I presume, right. Bruce, and you would know better than I, these incident reports, generally they entered textually or is this stuff from a call recording transcribed and popped in there? How does a lot of this stuff get entered? Maybe it's different per industry. It depends on the industry. Exactly okay. right. I think the car incident reports are typed in, but you can well imagine uh, in the field, technicians using audio devices to report a problem in that they're experiencing with some kind of equipment. And so in, along with that, sometimes you'll also have, again, like you said, the metadata, maybe it'll say make and model, for example, or maybe right. it'll say your, your geo region roughly enough to know what's going on. Just to carry this idea of meta reading and of investigative insight into another space, you mentioned government agencies. Would this be you know, equipment logs, or would this be other kind of logs? Where might sort of the government world look at something like this? Certainly, there's a lot of equipment logs. We also had movements, which I guess are still underway, even with this administration, of trying to bring digital technologies into government across the board. But one industry that's been, or one government function that's been facing this issue for some time now is banking, where Wire transfers of certain, uh, at least of a certain size, are scrutinized. So they come in the form; these reports come in the form of meta information about the source of the wire transfer, the destination of the wire transfer, but also textual information about the nature of the wire transfer, the the relationship of the sender of the money to the bank itself. This kind of textual information. Yeah. And in terms of investigative work here, my guess is primarily we're talking about fraud, but there might be other use cases. Fraud and money laundering. Would be the big shticks, yeah. That's right. Yeah, there's a, geez, I mean, the numbers for that, you know, in a given year in this country are pretty spooky. You'd almost not know unless you were in that space. With that being said, 
maybe again, the insight here, and you can throw some color on this. I'm just trying to come up with a representative example for the listeners. You know, maybe we see that high level insight would be like, hey, this country appears to be getting more dangerous than it was a few years ago. That's very high level. It might be much more detailed about how long have they had an account and like exact dollar amount ranges and frequencies where it's like, oh, this sort of pattern mean it seems to be this seems to be the way that people move big sums is they're they're in this mode where they take, you know, this ratio of transactions in this sort of pattern of it, so it might be something deeper than that than just like, oh, you know, watch out for transfers to Romania. That's exactly right, Dan. It's the banking application is a really challenging one. It might be on the same scale of difficulty as the kind of investigative tools that FBI and CIA need for monitoring terrorist activity. So what's happening here in the banking world, you have to have a tool that will enable the analyst to see a web of activity, a web of activity, a set of interrelated actions carried out over time by many different parties but taken together, they reveal a pattern of behavior that is suspicious. A good example is, again, money laundering. One of the patterns you're looking for there is the collection of cash through a small business, like a car wash, <laughs> laundromat, collecting cash, and then wire transfers of large sums coming out of accounts controlled by that small business. Got it. So in this case, in terms of patterns to detect, just to, again, put a pulse on it, maybe there would be certain industries that we would know are really cash-based, and maybe there's even industries that are cash-based that are pretty well known for laundering activity that maybe we even uptick our human attention on. And then similarly, maybe there's geo-regions where almost all the business is done in in non-cash, like white collar type B2B stuff. And it's seemingly much more trackable. Maybe other geo regions where, you know, half the money collected in the darn town is in the form of green bills. And maybe we got to watch out a little bit more. So being able to, sounds like, potentially set those patterns at a high level and then guide human attention, it would seem to me like, man, the way you visualize what you had talked about as kind of this web of activity it seems logical as the goal. You don't, nobody's going to want to read them one by one. No one's going to want to look at big, ugly lists. The visualization thing seems to be a real challenge, a real problem. Yes. How the hell do we represent this so a human can find something? That's right. Visualizing the data is key here. And again, it's the quantity of data that is posing the real challenge. If it were a small enough data set to fit into a shoebox, yeah. of note cards, then we get an intern. We wouldn't have a, yeah, yeah. get an intern. That's right. <laughs> that would be why we would need a deeper and more robust system to do something like that. I guess we can we can pivot this a bit now as a sort of last note into what technologies like this would look like in the future. And you're familiar with the hard science here and where this is busting its way into industry. I can imagine that there will be maybe some industries where this sort of meta reading will, will have to become the norm, you know, pretty soon. And others where maybe it'll it'll be more challenging. I'm wondering, like, are there spaces, you, know, you mentioned automotive, are there spaces that if you were a betting man, you'd say, you know, it really seems like these areas are, if you're in this, these industries, they're probably going to need some level of this sort of insight in the, in the half decade ahead. Any spaces that are exciting for you, I guess, more than others? Well, I think the low-hanging fruit here is any industry that has 
significant investments in equipment where the equipment is distributed around the planet. And now the company, the source of this equipment, is receiving on a regular basis, hourly, daily, reports of how that equipment is performing. Where the, the challenge for the company is detecting failures early before they get out of hand, and sometimes just meeting the regulatory obligations for large industries. Oh, so maybe spaces with tighter regulation. And I like the fact that we're talking about a general lens to think through rather than pointing at individual industries. This lets a lot of people think, I think, the way you describe it. I think it's just so broad that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to 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 talk that way. And that's fine. I think it opens up possibility space in people's minds. Everybody listening will have different ideas, but we're talking about distributed equipment, consistent feedback well beyond the level that humans can with an ardent interest in preventing issues. And some of this could be regulatory and maybe spaces with tight regulation would have a deeper need for this just so they don't cross the line inadvertently. Right. Examples of that, I can't really think of any in heavy industry. Like, does automotive have things like that? Or is it more in like finance and banking that would have those kind of hard regulations? Well, I'm pretty sure the automobile industry does have these regulations, but I'm not an expert in yeah, regulation. Yeah, yeah. I'm more confident the airline industry does. I suspect that trucking is subject to this kind of oversight regulation. Got it. Okay. A final little short question related to everything we've talked about. There is this meta reading capability that machine learning seems to be pretty well suited for compared to previous approaches. And there's also this need for humans in some way to be able to sink their fingers into what's coaxed out of this meta reading and find insights. Like the business driving insights still are pretty well in the human purview. It seems to me like that will become easier. In other words, insight will become more clear just in the interface people are working in. How do you think that transition will happen? Because I see it now as, okay, here's all this stuff. These words are used a lot. These cases seem to be clustered. And then humans go and investigate. Humans go and find what that might mean. Humans determine some other tests to make sure that's what that means. Then humans determine how to use it in the business. Still a lot of human brain. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. How do you think that'll become easier? Because it still feels like a little bit of wizard skill here. It is. I I, I think that in terms of applications of NLP that we could deploy today, we are primarily looking at this macro reading level of analysis of text with a human driving the the creation of real insights into the data. So the macro reading and the tools we build can display patterns, can discover patterns. But determining what those patterns mean, that's another matter. That, yeah. That's a human skill. My research here at the university is looking 10 years out. Yeah. And in that period of time, what I primarily work on here at the university is what I call micro reading, which is, uh, you know, can we mine from logs like the ones we've been talking about? Or for that matter, can we mine from newswire feeds or from internet postings, social media posts? Can we mine this information and get from it a level of understanding that people derive when they read? So not trying to find patterns over a thousand logs or 10,000 logs, but rather what did this particular posting, what did this particular log have to say about uh, failure of an automobile, for example? 
And I think that one of the reasons I'm optimistic that micro-reading can be achieved in AI within a five to 10-year horizon is that first, NLP technologies have improved. The fundamental underlying technology has improved mainly because machine learning, which underlies it, has improved. But there's another secret sauce here that I love, that I'm trying to bring to the project, and that's long-lived AI systems. So we're all familiar with, for example, Siri-like personal assistants that interact with a person on a one-shot basis. Yeah, where's a good pizza shop? Where's a good pizza shop? You're saying we have no temporal knowledge of who is this person, what might this person mean? So you're, you're talking about having that background baked into the intelligence you're, you're interacting with. Yeah, I'm talking about an AI system that has, say, a 10-year lifespan. And over its 10-year lifespan, it is getting better at its task, whatever that might be. Yeah. So imagine now a micro-reading AI system. If it comes across a passage of text that it can't quite decipher, it could leave in its knowledge base an IOU. I'll come back to this a year from now when I have more background knowledge and the NLP technologies that comprise me have gotten better. I'll come back and try my hand again at parsing, at understanding this difficult text. Long-lived systems like that can be more ambitious because they don't have to solve every problem today. And just to pop this in kind of as a last little point, I really uh, I like the idea of, again, getting a sense of where things are going. I would think if you want a system to get human-level insight out of individual instances and whatnot, on some level, it feels like we'd have to have some kind of structured information here where humans would interact enough with the instances to put in enough of, here's what this means, here's what this means, here's what this means, here's what... Because the, the context, the outside world never goes into the machine unless it makes its way there. And we're talking about a very rich context. We're talking about yes. business problems, moving parts. Right? The NLP machine doesn't know all the bits of the transmission, but the person reading it does. So it would seem like there would be quite a long time of humans interacting with these instances in a structured fashion. And then the machine would, you're saying that, yes, that, that probably would be what would need to happen for this kind of system. These systems need to be long lived yeah, because there's a huge amount of background knowledge yep. that they need to acquire in order to do micro reading successfully. Yep. I've been in this field now for 35 years and most of that time has been in building manually the knowledge bases of scale that are necessary for these kinds of activities. Now the question is, how much can we back off of that manual construction, offload it to machine learning methods? I still believe that we have to prime these systems with some level of general knowledge about the world for them then to be able to be automatic. Yeah. Well, I have my fingers crossed that that priming works and that, you know, at least from a, a selfish consumer level, that Siri will have a little bit more context than, you know, today's pizza request. And I know that you're working ardently on that. So that's all we have for time, Bruce. Thanks so much for the interview. Thank you, Dan.
That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week. 